Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Mabel Wadsworth Center, providing comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services to people in northern and eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, Maine Care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. All About Aging with your host Peg Cruikshank is up next. Hello, WERU audience. WERU, listener-supported, volunteer-powered, the voice of many voices. Today, particularly, the voice will be All About Aging, one of the public affairs programs on WERU. Today, we have two guests, Len Kay, who's the director of the Maine Center on Aging at the University of Maine, Orono, and Deb Burwell, who's going to be talking about, uh, about dating for older adults. Welcome to you both. Hi, Len. Are you there? I am. Good morning. Good morning. This is going to be a lively show. I've just got a couple of announcements first, and then we'll turn to uh, Len. Is the Dementia Conference Monday is still open to participants, Len? Uh, the the, the uh, conference on the 28th yeah. is. Uh, very few seats remaining, so I encourage folks to register immediately. Okay. And wh- how would they, what would they do? Co- contact the Center on Aging? They would. They should go, if they have internet access, they should go to our website and click on uh, the, the colloquium uh, and uh, that you can register online. Thank you. A couple of announcements. There was an interesting article I saw reproduced from the Journal of American Geriatric Society. It said people near the end of their lives wait too long to enter hospice. We know this is a problem in Maine. They put off entering hospice, and then they're in and out of the hospitals, and they have debilitating symptoms that aren't really helped by all those hospital visits. They'd be better off if they can get into um, hospice. The average now, unfortunately, is only two weeks, which we know is not enough. Second announcement, there was a wonderful article in the Boston Globe on Sunday by a noted gerontologist, uh, Margaret Gallette, who is an independent scholar out of uh, Brandeis University. Her article is called Beware the Labels, Contrived Generational Wars Disguise the Failure of the American Dream. Gallette fears that writers who talk about groups in stereotypes are reinforcing those stereotypes. For example, the old as greedy geezers. I think Alan Simpson was one who, the former senator, popularized that really ugly phrase. And then the stereotype of millennials, that they are lazy slackers forgetting the point that there were few jobs for them in the Great Recession. Galette says young people should support expansion of Social Security because of all their student debt. They may need it, Social Security, before their parents need it. She says, quote, every article manipulating cohort stereotypes lets the government and corporations off the hook for outsourcing jobs, the crash of the Rust Belt Industries, de-unionization, 
and the decades of cascading downward mobility. Cascading downward mobility. Glett says malice can turn one generation against each other. And my gloss on this is that older adults, let's remember, are taking nothing from young people. Our Social Security benefits are deferred compensations. Be good if the media could call them that. Deferred compensations, our Social Security now that we're getting is our own money that's been set aside for years. All right, let's turn to Len and the Center on Aging. I see you just got a big grant. Len, tell us about that. Let's see. We've had uh, good fortune uh, the last uh, month or two. I, I guess the most recent announcement is for the third-year funding uh, to take uh, an additional look at the experience of older adults who are involved in volunteering, uh, that is, uh, doing uh, various uh, uh, work in the community that we would be calling civic engagement. And uh, our, our researchers here, and notably Jennifer Crittenton, is going to try to figure out more, more clearly uh, the degree to which uh, volunteers, older volunteers, are able to juggle the competing responsibility of still working but volunteering at the same time. And there was another grant as well? Yes, we uh, were so delighted that uh, the state of Maine was one of only seven awardees uh, to uh, 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 be able to uh, study uh, innovative ways in which to ensure that older adults do not go uh, do not go hungry. Uh, innovative ways in which to deliver uh, customized medically uh, appropriate meals to older adults in their homes who have been recently discharged. And what's particularly exciting about this project is that we are going to employ a very creative, uh, out-of-the-box, uh, artificial intelligence uh, program that is going to be available to older adults in their homes to help them keep track of their, their, the chronic illness which they're struggling with, uh, but also to keep track of how well uh, the nutrition uh, uh, services being offered through the Eastern Area Agency on Aging are serving their needs. So it's, it's bringing technology uh, to, in a user-friendly way into the homes of older adults to make their lives better. And it's important, isn't it, that they don't return to the hospital. So any program that will help them not return to the hospital would be very welcome. And am I right in saying that grant came from the Administration for Community Living? You're right on the money, yes. Uh, and it's a partnership between our area agency on aging in the area, Eastern, uh, St. Joseph's Hospital here in Bangor, uh, and Sensio Systems, which is the uh, uh, inventor, uh, if you will, of the uh, artificial intelligence platform that we're going to be using. That's an exciting development, Len. Let's back up a bit and tell our listeners in general, give an overview of the, the, the Center on Aging. Well, how long do you have, Peg? <laughs> well, I know you have... Have lots going on, but uh... we, we do, and we're we're really we do a lot with very little. We have uh, less than ten staff. Uh, we operate 
in a very small space uh, 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 off on the campus, actually, of the University of Maine, Augusta, Bangor uh, campus. But we are a University of Maine initiative. Uh, we've been going strong for nearly 20 years, and we believe in doing a, a little bit of everything. Uh, we, uh, we do uh, service programs for older adults, primarily in the area of uh, placing volunteers, older volunteers in the community, uh, and also empowering older adults through leadership training. Uh, we, we started a senior college, the Penobscot Valley Senior College, uh, some 15 years ago. Uh, we have a virtual senior center that we have supported called Gateway Seniors Without Walls. It has no physical space, but it plans uh, recreational and educational programs that meet in various locations from one month to the next in the region. Uh, and we do a great deal of research, evaluation, and educational programming through conferences and through the kinds of research projects that we just were talking about a few minutes ago. When did you come become the director, Len? Was it 20 years ago? It was. I'm the founding director, and I would think folks are growing weary of my face uh, <laughs> uh, at this point. Uh, maybe I should start thinking about uh, uh, stepping down at some point. But I tell you, uh, these are exciting times. Yes. And it will be difficult uh, to leave the Center on Aging. But, but I did found it, oh, back in 2001 uh, at the end of a sabbatical year that I was spending here at the University of Maine. Yes, I remember those early days. Now, did Jennifer just get her Ph.D.? I noticed she's referred to as Dr. Crittenden now. Yes, and, and you must remember to always call her that. Oh, I sure will. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she is amazing. Jennifer Crittenden uh, just, moved, just was uh, moved from being the assistant uh, director of the Center on Aging, and Jennifer is now uh, the designated associate director. So... Uh, uh, She's uh, just one step below. Uh, she she really makes things happen here. Uh, and on top of working more than full-time here at the center, she managed to earn her Ph.D. Uh, this past spring. Uh, she has two young children. Uh, she uh, 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 writes grants and, and wins them more than more often than not. Uh, she is, and she teaches. So uh, she's she's an amazing individual. Well, hats off to uh, to Jennifer, and we'll remember to call her doctor. <laughs> Len, could you say a few words about the importance of rural American aging and the special uh, issues that come up for us who live in uh, in rural territories? Peg, this is such an important question. I'm glad you you uh, you asked it because. As I see it, it's, it's truly one of the grand challenges in this day and age. Uh, realize we're the most rural state in the nation. Realize that we also rank number one in terms of uh, being the oldest state in the nation based on median age. Uh, so uh, this is no better a, a learning laboratory than you're going to find in terms of appreciating the challenges of, of aging in small towns and rural communities. And they, uh, 
the challenges are enormous. Uh, uh, on the on the lips of a lot of folks nowadays is the risk of isolation and loneliness, and a great deal of programs are are aiming to address that. Uh, the the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging uh, in the last year or so has has addressed this issue. Uh, some 40 percent of older adults uh, indicate they are lonely at some point uh, uh, and uh, uh, and isolated. And we know that being isolated is risky business. We know, in fact, it's been said it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I cannot think of a greater challenge than uh, figuring out once and for all how to reduce the risk of folks being disconnected from the worlds around them, especially in rural communities. I think that's true, Len, and isn't it the case that some of the isolated are so isolated that they're below the radar of those who are interested in challenging isolation? Very good point. Uh, we cannot we cannot do this passively. If we're going to successfully address uh, the the grand challenge of, of isolation as we grow older, uh, folks who work with older adults are going to need to get up out of their chairs, leave their offices, and be very assertive in uh, finding where they are, who they are, and the ways in which they can best be helped. Uh, these are not individuals who are apt to be asking for help. Uh, they're, they're stoic. They have a stiff upper lip mentality. They're proud. Uh, they insist on remaining independent as long as possible. And unfortunately, as positive as those qualities are uh, at first glance, they also are, are risky. Uh, uh, folks who are lonely and isolated are more likely to not see a doctor on a regular basis. Uh, they're at greater risk of being abused, neglected, and exploited. Uh, they are more likely to be depressed and anxious, uh, and 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 have and struggle with 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 their health and well-being. Uh, and and I could go on and on. The list is long in terms of the negative consequences of of separating yourself and disconnecting from the world. Len, you published work didn't you on social isolation and the risks yes and 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 we talk and and this is exactly what that book was about my my co-editor on that dr clifford singer is a geriatric psychiatrist here in bangor at uh, northern light health acadia hospital and uh we have an introductory chapter that speaks to the the the, the very close relationship between declining health and, and isolation. And then we have a range of individuals who contributed to that book that talk about the, the different ways in which isolation can impact different subgroups, different uh, uh, individuals who are aging, but who may be confronted with special challenges and unique issues. That reminds me that we had a neighbor in Korea a few years ago uh, who uh, who was told, who was asked by the nurse, when was the last time you saw a doctor? She said 1946, and it was a bad experience. <laughs> and some, sometimes that bad experience will, will 
result in in uh, uh, you or I not wanting to go back, and that's unfortunate. I think that's true, but you're making a good point about those Yankee virtues of stoicism and stiff upper lip. At a certain point when we're older, they work against us. Here are these virtues that have been so important in our youth and middle age to get us along are no longer that helpful. So very true, really. Uh, uh, No one is truly independent. No one lives an autonomous life without assistance and help from others. Uh, And probably the the strongest indicator of of your risk of becoming isolated is a a fragmented or weakened weakened, uh, social network. So when when one's family uh, is no longer uh, around, when there aren't friends and neighbors that, that one is inclined to turn to, uh, the risk increases dramatically. And it's, it's figuring out ways in which to bolster one's social network, uh, the, the, the informal individuals uh, outside the, the service delivery system, if you will. Uh, it, it's those individuals that ultimately will make the difference. Uh, and, and, and we need to figure out how to, how to strengthen it. I think that's true, and I think particularly of widows who lose their husbands later in life. Many many women are uh, married; women are widowed by age sixty five. But here in Maine, I think the men do a little better. So women who are who become widows in their seventies or eighties may be more likely to become socially isolated if they live in rural areas. If they live in Bangor or Portland, they might have a, an easy to reach social network. They may even be able to walk to a senior center. But in rural Maine, I would think that would be a greater challenge. Again, uh, you're right on the money. You put your finger on it. It has been said that older women uh, who are alone uh, without a partner uh, or a spouse or a significant other uh, and uh, who have retired and, and live on limited income uh, really face multiple jeopardies. Uh, they're at greatest risk, if you will. And what about men? We mustn't forget the men. I know you've done some research on men and aging, haven't you, Len? Uh, oh, boy, I have, and I, I've yet to figure out how to set them straight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are, talk about a stubborn bunch Yes. Uh, uh, that refuse to uh, uh, reach out and accept assistance from someone. We are the worst culprit. Uh, and uh, when you combine that with living a rural lifestyle, uh, you face you face serious jeopardy. Older men uh, are are guilty of not seeing their doctors as frequently as they should. They don't practice good preventive health. Uh, they don't get tests that could discover and and uh, identify potential health problems before they become serious and even a crisis. Uh, men uh, they they are they are blinded uh, they are from from understanding it seems the value of uh, living in a society where we need to help each other 
I just read uh, on the news that Chris Matthews is going to be treated for prostate cancer. I wonder if that will encourage some men to be tested because he's a well-known figure uh, and uh, it may just be the nudge they need to um, to take seriously the risks of prostate cancer in, in late life. You know, whatever it takes, uh, if it's, uh, if it's a, 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 a public uh, figure well-known to the community, uh, if that's what it takes to, to light that light uh, and for folks to see uh, what they need to do to, to practice uh, good health and live a long life, then, then I'm, I'm delighted, uh, unfortunately, to, to have that happen. Uh, but, uh, and, and actually, the fact is, the, the, mo- the, the most powerful influence on each of us to better care for ourselves uh, frequently is when it strikes home, when it when it hits yes. us personally, when it yes. affects our our families, our friends, uh, our our relatives. I have to interject here that when I wrote my book on aging, I was in my sixties, and now I'm a lot older, and I'm starting to have the physical signs of aging that were invisible to me when I was sixty. So I may need to write um, uh, uh, an afterward saying. Take it easy there, and all that all that glib talk about adaptation should be tempered by some realism. Exactly right, and and we we need to don't we practice what we preach? Uh, 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 those of us who work in in uh, work with older adults and work in this field called gerontology and geriatrics uh, need to remember that it applies to us as much as it applies to everyone else. That is so true. That is so true. Len, I want to ask a couple questions about the uh, Summit on Aging that we just had, the uh, Maine Council on Aging. I'm going to have Jess on the program in December, but that was such an exciting conference. I remember uh, the spirit of it was, was very upbeat, I think partly because of the change in leadership in Maine and the uh, keynote address by the woman who's in charge of uh, Department of Health and, uh, and Human Services. It was uh, it was exciting. The, the summit always uh, serves to remind me and I think others uh, of how how active we are, how engaged we are, and and we fight this inclination to be stoic and removed. Uh, and and the wisdom summit is is a, is a wonderful example of how a combination, a, a really diverse audience, comes together to address this single challenge, uh, and and not in terms of just the gloom and doom perspective. I, I, what is exciting about the summit is that it is positive. Uh, it, it speaks to opportunities. It talks about ways in which older adults can uh, be mobilized and advocate for themselves uh, and make change at the, at the systems level, at the policy level. Uh, and, and that is, I think, the, the, the most important contribution that the Wisdom Summit has to make. I remember that uh, Shirley Weaver got on, was honored for her work with volunteers, and one of them was uh, a veterans group, older veterans that she meets with in the Kennebunk area. I think it's, uh, given the suicide rate among veterans, I think it'd be particularly important to organize support groups for for veterans as they as they get older and their experiences may have a lot of bearing on how they do in, in old age. You betcha. Uh, you betcha. Uh, 
support groups generally are a wonderful way in which to mount the fight against our, our, our weakened network of social supports as we grow older. Uh, we need to create uh, new networks, new sources of support, and a, a support group can, can do just that. Uh, Suicide remains a challenge. Uh, the suicide rate is greatest among older adults, and, and guess who? It's uh, among older adults. We know that it's even it's even higher among older men, uh, and so you know the majority of veterans remain men, uh, and uh, they represent the highest risk for for uh, unfortunately committing suicide. And and when older adults aim to kill themselves unfortunately they are highly successful in doing it that's very that's very disturbing isn't it to think that uh, those rates are high we'll take some call in today on weru for all about aging the number for call-ins is 469-0500 we're talking with uh, len k the director of the main center on aging and deb burwell who will be soon launching into her part of the program. I understand, Deb, you and you and Len know each other. We do. It's delightful to hear your voice, Len. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what else, Len? How about um, future vision for the Center on Aging? What, what would you like to see in the future? Well, the, the future vision for the Center will be impacted directly by what uh, the state of Maine and, and the country see as emerging issues. Uh, we we take our direction from from societal developments, uh, and and there there are numerous issues that that are impacting us in major ways. You know, we talked a lot about social isolation, but the fact is, I anticipate the positive, healthy aging movement will be it, very much alive and well into the future. We have a call from David. You're on the air, David. All about aging. Hello. David, are you with us? Yes. Hello. Hi. Uh, I just I just tuned in, I confess, to your wonderful program. I didn't know it was on. It's a little hard to figure out what's going to be on at 10 o'clock. But uh, I wanted to say something about the uh, uh, suicide issue and how it relates to the uh, bill that our uh, 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 Democratic... Uh, law uh, supporting governor passed about uh, physician-assisted suicide and how that the existence of the permission in this state now for a person to legally have themselves killed in a very painless and appropriate medical way, how that weakens what I take to be the best line of defense against suicide which is what I happen to believe, that it's a morally reprehensible alternative to choose. And, you know, to, to, talk about, to talk about palliating the causes of suicide is all well and good, you know, uh, depression, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's also important to talk about increasing the inner resistance of us elders to taking that easy way out and missing the chance to learn the wonderful lessons and painful lessons which we may need to learn on this earth before we are through here. 
Thanks, David, for contributing your point of view. I think you've referred to death with dignity, a, a new law in Maine that will be uh, enacted. And, of course, there is uh, another point of view on that, which you have just presented by calling it uh, suicide, assisted suicide. Let me get let Kay and uh, Deb Burwell's take on this uh, this issue. Deb? You know, this is such a, a complicated issue that, that goes right to the heart of, of um, who we are. And what I view is people having options, but back to what David was saying, being able to build that inner resilience. I know you use the term, David, of inner res, um, resistance, but resilience and going back to what Len was talking about with really bolstering our social networks um, so that we have support when um, particularly in rural, when we're, when we're elders in rural areas. But I think that it is a complex personal decision. And for me, having options um, in front of me, but also having my social network be there to help me think through those difficult ones is absolutely essential. That's good, Deb. Thank you. Len, what's your take on this new law that's... Uh, that David has found objectionable. Yep. Uh, I'm a, a firm believer that uh, individuals should control uh, and determine the path they take in life. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to argue that too many of us do not take advantage uh, of the good advice and help and support that's available to them. Even in a rural state like, like Maine, where, where services are, are very dispersed, you opened the show talking about end-of-life care, palliative yes. care, hospice yes. care. Not enough of us are willing to take advantage of those critical services that could really help us uh, in, in assessing who we are and what we want and how we want to live the last days of our lives. So as long as individuals are aware of and are able to take advantage of available services and supports, uh, I, 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 I can't help but support their, their right to make decisions about their own uh, futures. Thanks, Len. We're going to hear from David again. Yeah, just real briefly. Uh, it was suggested Turn off your radio, please. It was suggested in response to my uh, comment that we could uh, beef up the uh, social network. We can't hear you, David. We're going to have to... Uh, have to uh, cut you off. Sorry. Now, let's go back to our program, All About Aging, WERU. I really encourage listener call-ins because uh, we want to have a broad a broad outlook on, uh, on this topic of aging. And even though our emphasis here is on the positive aspects of aging, we do have to be realistic about the end-of-life issues. And I'm assuming that people would choose to die only if they were in terrible pain, if they saw no hope of ending that pain, if the people around them who love them agree that the time has come. But that's just one view, and we know that there was an attempt to get a referendum on the ballot that would uh, overturn death with dignity law. So we know it's a controversial issue. 
Deb, I want to turn to you now. And uh, dating, uh, there's a positive aspect of aging. <laughs> Let's hear what you have to say. Well, it's funny to, to be able to come in um, after hearing, Len, you speak about the risks associated with isolation and loneliness and also how to bolster our social networks because I'm interested in looking at how does dating in our older years differ from our younger years and just to explore some options. Yes, yes. And so, you know, I've been giving this a lot of thought because it's where I am in my personal life and it's challenging to meet other single people. Um, Part of this is figuring out who's single and who isn't. Um, And when I reflect on how I used to meet people in my previous earlier years and, and partners, it was through school or college or work or social interactions or friends introducing me to people or neighbors. And um, while I still find that, you know, work is an avenue to meet people, it's just not my primary focus. I'm really focused on the work. But living in a rural area adds to that complication with the low density of people. And while there are significant numbers of people retiring to our region, it can be hard given given the fact that many people retire as couples. Yes. But also, how do you connect with new people to an area, as well as how do you learn who already has been here? And people, I think at some some point, people decide, oh, I'm just not going to try anymore. Um, so that there's a way in which I've had to think about this where, um, you know, that that some of us have said, I might have been interested in being with someone, but the process of dating just feels onerous yes, and yes. daunting. right. So I'm not here to say I've got the perfect solution, Very good. but I'm here to offer some thoughts and um, some options. Um, so I'm intrigued by the question of as we age, does the need or desire for that kind of intimate partner change? And so um, I concluded that um, in just having a lot of conversations with people, that we all need connection, but that not everyone is interested in romantic relationships. Yes. And, and it gets complicated. I mean, the fact is that as we age, uh, we have more life experiences. We get set in our ways. And we are what I call quirky. Um, we each have our ways of doing things. And, you know, does my quirkiness at all connect with someone else's quirkiness? And can we put up with those mutual quirkinesses? It's a great uh, word, by the way. It's, it's one of my favorites. Because it has a positive, it has yeah. a positive ring to it. Yeah. Yeah, but in dating, if someone else's quirkiness turned out to be off-putting, it, it wouldn't be so exactly so positive. Exactly, and so I know that I've gone through times of of convincing myself that you know I have a full life. I don't really need a partner or a special person. Um, but the fact is that um, when I think about this. I think about being in relationship as um, being about having companionship, having fun with another person, and also the learning that comes yes, from yes. being with someone else. I, I also want to, of course, acknowledge the challenges. It, it's very hard. Yes, it is. But to be even able to find someone, that whole question of dating, yes, yes. I had sort of put aside. But then I saw a documentary called The Age of Love, and it's, it came out in 2014. I don't know if either of you are familiar with it, but it followed people in their um, 70s to 90s who decided to sign up for a speed dating event. 
and speed dating exactly just for people 70 to 90 <laughs> and i was really intrigued with this idea um because it it did look at you know that the question that intrigues me about um does our need for intimacy and search for love change over a lifetime and i was so struck watching the documentary by the courage it took for people to step out of their day-to-day lives and say, I'm going to try something new. Yes. This is totally different than what I normally do, but I'm going to put myself out there and um, look for companionship. And so each person who attended that event had had a full life and a different story. But I was just moved again and again by the, the, um, oh, just the, the courage and to take that risk to try something new. Especially with speed dating. Yes. I would think that would take even more courage than other kinds of programs that brought people together. You know, I thought so too. And then I began thinking about the fact that, well, you know, what are the options for dating? You know, and so I did look into um, various options and online dating and I will come back. I'll circle back to speed dating, Peg. But online dating is um, a way to meet people. And there are many success stories from online dating. And um, some of the statistics are that five out of seven um, new relationships uh, came out of speed dating that people met online. That's amazing when you it, think of it. It is. And I'm not sure whether that um, figure holds for our age demographic right. or not, right. and how that goes across. But I recently took a class through the Belfast Senior College, taught by um, Wendy Caston and also Sheriff Jeff Trafton, and it was called um, "Online Dating for Mature Beginners." <laughs> and it was a fabulous class. I bet Jeff um, Trafton, as sheriff, was able to share. Um, some cautions, some very, very strong cautions about romance scams and about how people are really drawn into out of that sense of vulnerability of really wanting to feel special and connect with other people. And yet there are scammers who are working night and day to sort of um, convince people that they are that special person. And then after a sufficient amount of time and cultivating that then there's a request for money to be able to get a plane ticket to visit or whatever else. And some of the stories really were quite horrifying. It's frightening. <laughs> it was. Scammers focusing on vulnerable older adults or at least older adults who are potentially making themselves vulnerable. Exactly. And and believing that in fact they are that special person. And so, you know, even with family members saying, wait a minute, we're concerned about this. So it was very good to go into that day with that kind of caution. Yes. Um, and, and also some um, cautions around be careful when you meet someone, always meet in a public place and those types of things when you're, when you're doing online dating. But I, I then was appreciating that um, Wendy Caston took us through how to develop a profile and we went over some of the dating sites and just gave us a, a chance to get, um, f- become familiar with what some of them offered. One of my major takeaways was something I just hadn't thought about before, and that was that through the, the questions that online dating sites ask, there is some vetting going on so that you are being able to say, this is important to me, whether it's being outdoors or whether it's healthy eating or 
whatever um, your particular interests are, and that there is a way in which you then are able to um, seek a match that is similar. And I hadn't really given that enough credence. So I know that online dating is um, something that I personally will try, and I know I have friends who have tried it with with various degrees of success, but one of the things that was um, inspiring was that the professor, or Wendy, had met her husband online, and so there was a wonderful success story. Yes, uh, what better qualification to teach a class on uh, online dating than that success story. We have to assume that people are telling the truth when they say that they're vegetarians or that they love the outdoors. Exactly, exactly. Um, And there is that kind of question of how do we discern? How do we we make those kinds of judgments um, that is enough there to interact with a person, have some good conversations, both just in writing and then on the phone before you decide to meet. So there's some vetting that each of us is responsible for doing as well. And let's think that older adults have some common sense that they may not have had when they were 25 or 30 about how they go ahead with this. Absolutely. That there's some real practicality, common sense. So I was eager to develop... um, Another option. So in addition to online dating, I created something that I called the Singles Mingle. And I created it for people, men and women who are 55 and older. And I did because I prefer to meet people in person. I like to sit across a table, have a conversation, and see how a person thinks, what they're interested in, what they're reading, and be able to sort of get a, a sense of, you know, who are they in the world? Their um, body language, exactly. Example, reading their body language. Totally, totally. And um, it also just feels like a more natural and somewhat authentic way for me to interact. I'm not in any way ruling out the other one, but um, even this is not everyone's cup of tea. No, um, no. So, and, and because I'm a facilitator by profession, it just made sense to create something where we could do this so that... Um, I will not be facilitating this one. I have another person facilitating. But um, this is a singles mingle will be offered the end of this month on the Sunday the 27th in Belfast at the Nautilus restaurant. And it's an experiment. It's the first one. And um, if we have between five and ten women and five and ten men sign up, and we do have a few already, we'll see how this experiment works. And um, Sarah Maddox is the facilitator who will be designing an agenda that will enable it to um, just be an easy experience of meeting and interacting with everyone in the room. Yes, that sounds better than speed dating to me. (laughs) Exactly. So it's not going to be speed dating. No, no, slow dating. Exactly, exactly, slow dating, Um, however we want to look at that. But there will be some time to have both informal time of just hanging out and talking. But then there'll be some lightly facilitated ways to learn who has similar interests to yours. And what do people like to do? What's their interest in music? Um, All of those um, kinds of questions. Um, And there will be a period of time where people can sit across the table from each person there and just interact a little bit. But I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Yes, yes. And, um, will you do it again if it works out well the first time? I, or even I'm if it doesn't? To, even if out. it doesn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. up for giving it a try twice. Yes, yes. I and so. so one of the things is that, um, and I will just make note of this, that it seems to be 
that um, single women over 55 uh, have signed up first. And so I'm putting out a bit of a challenge to our listeners um, of looking for some single men over 55 to sign up. There is a fee. It's it's um, $35, and it's a it's a two-and-a-half, three-hour event, but it's, it's very informal. And um, the other thing is that many of the listeners may already be in couples, and I, I would just ask, if you know single people, because we all do, yes, will you just um, mention this to them if yes. you think they might be interested? Because this goes back to our earlier conversations yes. about boost, um, bolstering our social networks. Right. And this is about being able to just try something new. So there it is. We have a caller. Richard, you're on the line. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to point out that a lot of the issues that you're having um, could be solved with public transportation. We can't hear you very clearly, Richard. Public transportation. Yes. For example, a ride to Singles Mingle. Are you there? No. All right. We'll take it up, take it from there. I wanted to mention in connection with Deb's work that there's going to be is a call for papers for a book called Gray Online, Gray G-R-E-Y, Gray Online and Offline Dating Over 60, 70, and 80. Our stories, I would add over 90 there too. Why stop at 80? The co-editors are Nan Bauer Maglin and Daniel E. Hood. If this interests you, the address for more information is nanas, N-A-N-A-S, at simplelists, one word, dot com. I'll repeat that. Online dating, online and offline dating, which, of course, Deb has been describing here. Nanas, N-A-N-A-S, at simplelists, one word, dot com. Nanas stands for North American Network of Age Studies. That anthology sounds like a very promising uh, addition to uh, your work and, and interests, online and offline. I people, like that People's term. stories. Yeah. Success stories and maybe horror stories. Exactly. And, and what we can learn from all of this. Good. Len, do you want to jump in here and uh, have any, any observations on online, offline dating for Mainers over 55, 60, 70, 80, 90? Well, I tell you, the uh, the uh, the session that uh, Deb is going to be at is very uh, uh, intriguing. Uh, if I weren't married, I might go. <laughs> but uh, I think I'm good. But let me just suggest a couple of takeaways from what I've heard. And in part, it has to do with what I learned a couple of years ago at one of our conferences where we had Pepper Schwartz who is uh, the love and relationship ambassador for the national AARP present. And she reminded us that relationships in later life uh, can uh, uh, be uh, developed and maintained for a wide range of reasons. Uh, physical sex being one, physical intimacy and, and sexuality, but but as was suggested, uh, it could be done to, to simply be able to share uh, living expenses and help 
manage a, a, a home that has grown too large for one individual to maintain. Uh, common interest and companionship could be the purpose. Uh, merging assets and limited budgets could be it as well. And and the final takeaway that I would mention is that, from what I've heard, is that, uh, and Pepper reminded the audience of this when she spoke, and, and that is as we grow older, as important as anything is touch. Uh, yes. And, and, and relationships frequently offer the opportunity for, for continuing the opportunity to, to receive touch and, and caring uh, and, and intimacy redefined in later life. Mm. Uh, and, and that is a, a, a wonderful way in which I think also to think about the importance of relationships as we grow older. The growing importance of, of touch. Of touch. And also the problem of touch deprivation mm-hmm. as as we get older. I remember Pepper Schwartz from the 70s. Didn't she do a book on marriage? And she interviewed each person in the relationship separately. And there was surprising discordance in those interviews, as I recall. But uh, she is certainly a well-known figure. And uh, I appreciate, Len, you're reminding us of uh, of her ideas. Let's go back to Deb now and some of the other things to think about when we are older and don't have a partner. But as you pointed out, some people are perfectly happy Mm. in late life without a partner, either because they've lost one or because they have been single all their lives happily. So we do know, though, that many people would prefer to be in some kind of partnership with another, and I think it's easier to do old age, frankly, if you have a loving companion, someone that's been with you for a long time. There's so many challenges, and it's just easier if there's someone to uh, to be there. Absolutely. When you say that, Peg, you know, I'm thinking about just being able to laugh with someone about. Yes. It. You know, yes. my knees used to get me up and down those stairs every day with no pain, and well. Now they still get me up and down, but there's There's much more pain or or whatever it is. Whatever it is. To be able to simply navigate this part of our lives with the changes and with our changing self-perceptions as well. I I know I do that with my dear friends, and I I just appreciate thinking about how do we have um, relationships of all types that really be are can really serve us and support us as we go through the stage. It's especially true because our friends may have tips about alleviating whatever discomforts we might find. I'm sure I hadn't heard of Arnica when I was 50, but now (laughs) a jug of Arnica has to be very near the bedside and in the bathroom, (laughs) and it comes in gel, and it comes in cream, and it comes in a salve. Who knew? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and when we take that to the dating realm, it's like, well, you know, the whole thing of how you get dressed up and what you do to get ready for a date, it's just different. I mean, I think of showing up as fully myself as possible. So, you know, I don't need to get all gussied up necessarily, yes. but I, I do feel like I'm looking for someone else who's showing up in their full selves. And we'll see what happens. I wonder if older adults are more choosy than than younger ones. I mean, that's probably a big stereotype. But we certainly have a clear sense of what we don't want to put up with in a relationship. I agree. And I think 
um, we can bring that experience to the table. And it serves us well. We'll be interested to know what happens to uh, Siegel's Mingle and uh, wish, wish that it's a, a great success. Thank what you. else can we tell our listeners about this whole area of being single when we're older? Well, I'm really appreciating Len's ideas um, based on uh, Pepper's talk about varying kinds of relationships that we can figure out. I know when when you sign up for um, many online dating um, sites, you have to say, are you interested in someone to travel with, to uh, be a companion for um, long-term relationship? But it really goes further than that. And the kinds of um, connections that you suggested, Len, are great at expanding our sense of what's possible. I remember that the singles dating ads at the back of the New York Review of Books are hilarious because they're so pompous and so positive. People call themselves <laughs> beautiful and learned, which I think is something that might you might discover about a person in, in time. But... Uh, to these these very uh, rose-colored glasses, <laughs> images of yes. themselves just just make me laugh. If I were yes. single, I don't think I would take any of that seriously. Well, it's funny you should say that because I think back to, um, and I'm dating myself, of course, um, in a different sense of that term, yeah. um, to the Maine Times personal ads. And many of us read those. And oh, a yes. friend and I were just reminiscing about that last night. And there was that, that kind of, ooh, this one sounds good. Or, oh, I don't know about that one. And I miss those types of <laughs> yes. Um, the main Options. times, uh, some of us remember, are old enough to remember when yes. we, that main times uh, uh, newspaper existed. It was uh, a lot of fun. I it remember was. writing something and getting hugely attacked by somebody in the art department at University of Maine. I'd make some comments about censorship of art. So that, that at least, is uh, something that we don't have right now. And certainly our papers are have opinion pages, but... I don't think the back and forth is quite the same as it was in the in the main times. Do you think there's a difference between people 60 and people 85 or 90 as they think about searching for a partner or at least being open to discovering a partner? Well, I I mean, part of me says yes and part of me says no. I have to say that um, the people who signed up for the online dating for Mature Beginners course ranged in age and, and people were lively and I, they, while we didn't say our ages, I know that we, I would guess, we went from around 60 to, I would guess, about 84, 85, right around in there. And um, there was just as much interest. And some people were widowed, some people were divorced, some people had been single their entire lives with varying partners. And it, it was a, a very good eye-opener to see that everyone was just as committed um, to finding their pathway to yes. beginning to date and hopefully meeting someone special. Did anyone, did any couple emerge from the online dating class? It was a small number of people, I suppose. Well, I, I think we all probably went with that question of, oh, yeah. I wonder who will yes. be there. Who will be there, yeah. And, and not to my knowledge did anyone emerge, any couple. But the jury may still be out. <laughs> well, good friends of mine, I must say, met on Match.com. And I'm sure one of the uh, restrictions or one of the qualifications was that 
the other woman live in Maine. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, just a beginning yes. for compatibility. Right, because there is that whole question of long-distance relationships given the rural nature of Maine. And the other thing about um, as we age, we often have our own homes and we have our own communities. And so how do you navigate? Yes. Um, how do you um, figure out sp- how to spend time together and all of that? And so that's sort of down the road as, a, as relationships develop. Mm-hmm. Well, the singles and mingles could lead to friendship groups, too, couldn't they? Absolutely. As well as romantic partnership yes. or something in between. Well, and it's funny, Pig, because um, in the online dating course um, that Wendy and Jeff um, ran, uh, Wendy spoke about how she met on quite a few good friends, people who became good friends. Um, she even met someone who became her accountant, but that there was a way in which um, the relationships might not have become romantic, but there, there were some long-lasting relationships that um, came out of that experience. And practical uses of finding an accountant yeah. would certainly be one of the less glamorous but practical uh, results from, uh, from online uh, dating. And in many, go ahead, Len. Len, go ahead. I, I, I want to barge in and, yes. and offer two cents from a gerontologist, yes. if, if anyone's willing to listen. Of course we are, Len. Go ahead. Uh, and, and that is just do it uh we are so at at this point in our lives in our 60s 70s 80s and beyond we're so well versed in these matters uh we've succeeded in some relationships we failed in others we've been there and done that uh and we know that a failed relationship while painful uh is is not fatal we survive it uh and so what's the worst that could happen if it doesn't work uh, you 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 move on, and so I'm I'm suggesting people just do it and and take the chance. That's great advice, Lynn. Do it and take the chance. Great. This has been a, a very lively conversation, and I'm uh, I'm grateful to both Lynn and to uh, Deb for plunging in uh, for all about aging. We get a lot of gloom and doom from the media, and maybe from our own experiences about aging. But certainly, the positive end of aging is well worth exploring. And uh, thank you both to Len Kay from the Maine Center on Aging and to Deb Burwell, who's interested in helping to promote some, some options for single Mainers to, uh, to meet each other. Thanks to you both. You've been listening to All About Aging on WERU, a public affairs program. Thanks to our engineer, Amy Brown.